There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Christian pop star Amy Grant performs at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia this coming Monday. I spoke with her about her pop crossover career as well as the new gospel music documentary, The Jesus Music, in theaters October 1st. Hey, Jason, it's Amy Grant. Hey, Amy Grant, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Um, we're talking because, uh, you know, you have a show, two things, actually. You have a show coming up at the historic Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on September 20th. And then, uh, you know, a week or so after, you have the new gospel music documentary, The Jesus Music, coming out on October 1st. So, you know, right. why, why should our listeners make this, you know, a one-two punch and, you know, they come out to the Birchmere and maybe hear some of the gospel tunes that might be in the documentary? Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying I mean, to tie it all together. <laughs> yeah, I know. Good luck. Well, um, yeah, to me, the beautiful thing about the documentary, it's really about the beginning of contemporary Christian music. So much stuff that I didn't know. And so, you know, and it's, it is, and of course the story continues. There's so many artists involved in that genre now. So, um, but yeah, I just, I love anything that explains where something has come from. I just love that. I love knowing about my family roots. I love knowing about musical roots. Um, my husband was really involved in the Ken Burns series about country music. Oh, so and good. that was like a multi-year process. But we both watched that going, I had no idea. It just makes you, I don't know, like all the dots start connecting. And to me, you know, I mean, we are all connected to each other in life. And greater family of man so it's interesting to yeah to find out some details and background now all of that I don't know how much that has to do with music at the Birchmere but <laughs> we have we have worked like crazed people to um to bring a great show and walk down memory lane for 40 years of music and um yeah I've got a great band and and after all of the zoom music that hold that does not hold a candle to either being in the audience or being on stage and i enjoy both well um, absolutely I love, absolutely yeah yeah god just music it's, we can it brings us together and makes us feel young at heart and all those things you know it's like oh i remember that earlier version of myself yeah that's cool <laughs> awesome well, I mean, I'm with you. I love tracing the roots of things, like you said. And uh, so take take me back to, you know, your, your your origin story. I know you were born in Georgia, but mostly grew up around Nashville, right? Like what, what music was on in the house around you growing up? What Was there any gospel stuff going on or was it country or what was it? 
Um, you know, I, the music we listened to when I was a kid, like really young, was like um, Frank Sinatra, Johnny Mathis, early Stevie Wonder. Um, my dad loved the Kingston Trio, you know, uh, Roger Miller. And then but I have three older sisters. And so, you know, I mean, they were on the front edge of Beatlemania and Elvis and well, you know, and then all the great singer songwriters, so many great bands. I mean, the seventies, that was a great time for music. And uh, yeah, and I, I did not know anything about, like we, I went to a church that didn't even have a choir. So I started writing uh, music that, that talked about faith because I had a faith experience. It's funny because I grew up in a church. I mean, I grew up in a family that went to church three times a week. And so my experience of faith music was uh, singing hymns, which I actually loved. I mean, I don't know how to tell the preachers that I have sat through their sermons. I can't remember one sermon ever of my whole life. But the music is really what shaped my understanding of God. Did you I, have a favorite you know, hymn sitting in those pews, you know, or the old rugged cross or what was it? <laughs> all of them. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because I, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, being the youngest in my family, there are not a lot of pictures of me when I was a kid, but there's one when I'm, I'm about six years old and I am sitting in a chair holding a hymnal. And I would just sing and I loved, I loved learning the harmony parts. I did a project for my parents years ago. Uh, it was acapella, but I sang all the harmony parts of just the songs that we grew up with in church. I just loved those. But when, when, um, when my two older sisters came home from college uh, in, in the Boston area, they started going to what we called the hippie church down on Music Row in Nashville. And sometimes they would take me and I was like, oh my gosh, people, they're wearing blue jeans and barefoot. And, and the, the, the preacher up front was brilliant. Um, and he just, you know, just expository teaching through the Bible. It was just Bible teaching. And there was a coffee shop next door and all of these um, young musicians at this church would play at the coffee shop. And I started going to that and I was like, you know, I started going to the youth group. The church was right on the edge of the projects. And so there were kids from the, just all walks of life, all colors, all family configurations. And for somebody that had, grew, that had grown up with church being more of a cultural experience, it was, it was just mind blowing to me. And so, yeah, it, it ignited my faith. It made me want to write about it. It seemed like I thought this is the adventure that will never get old. But like, here is the climate. So I'm, I must've been 14, 15. I'm standing next to the preacher in the front of the church. He's welcoming people in. There's a bar, a, you know, diagonally across the crosswalk from the church. It, studios all around us, people walking up and down that road with guitars all the time. And a, a woman comes in and she said, preacher, I take my clothes off for a living. Can I come to church here? That's just not your everyday conversation. 
and I'm, I'm sitting right next, you know, I'm like looking at her, I'm looking at her body, you know, I'm young and I'm watching him. And he said, man, you just, just follow Jesus. He'll tell you what you can and can't do. That's not my job. And of course you're welcome here. And I was like, yes. <laughs> well, to me, I mean, and go he, back that, that you go back to the actual gospels. That's what Jesus would have said. He said, welcome all. He, he said, he wasn't there judging people. He said, welcome, welcome. Yeah. And I just loved. Yeah. And so at the time, I mean, I, I spent my high school years going to a girl's school, a prep school that was fantastic. And uh, in Nashville, a school called Harpeth Hall. I love that school. I, and, you know, but I, I was 15 at this point and starting to write songs. And I went to the head of school and said, can I do a program here? And I sang Carol King, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, some James Taylor, John Denver, Joni Mitchell. And then I added the songs I was writing because I thought, oh, everybody writes all these great songs, but I can't find anybody that's writing songs about faith. It did exist, just not, I just wasn't aware of it. Right. So that's how I got in. Wow. So what were some of those? I mean, tell, tell, tell our listeners who might, you know, might know you for your, from your later crossover pop stuff, go take them back to your, to those early, you know, Christian songs you wrote. Cause I believe, gosh, you, you won probably what, like a handful of Grammys or something throughout the eighties. But um, tell me about, let me just pick one. How about father's eyes? How did you write that? Well, believe it or not, I did not write that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was, I, I'm going to tell you, there was really nothing that I wrote that was memorable. Um, and it's funny because I got a record deal through a crazy set of circumstances. There was a record company in Texas wanting to launch a label of contemporary artists and they were gonna launch the label with 12, 12 people. And so there was a producer in Nashville just trying to find people that were writing contemporary sounding songs with faith. He and this producer walked into the studio. It happened to be a day when the engineer was making a copy of a tape I had made for my mom and dad. We knew each other through church. And he said, who's that? And he said, that's Amy Grant. And he said, well, gosh, she's doing this music. I'm trying to find artists. I was 15. He said, she's not very good, but she sounds really sincere. And he said, oh, she's sincere. All right. And so, you know, but I wasn't very good. And my songwriting was, you know, I learned so much along the way. And so, um, you know, it, uh, but they were just looking for people. And I have thought so many times if I were starting out now, I don't think I would have had on first look what it would take to get anybody's attention, but there just wasn't anybody doing it. And so, um, yeah. But Father's Eyes was written by Gary Chapman, and I met him at the bookstore where they would have live music on Saturday nights. And um, I actually didn't even, I didn't meet him until after I had recorded his song. And then we wound up getting married and stayed married for 17 years. So, um, yep. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I love hearing about those, you know, those early days and right. And, and the fact that it was sort of like the Wild West, this Christian gospel music thing that, you know, it, it you said that, you know, nowadays you don't know if you'd, you'd make it. But then it was like a wide open lane and, and you charged ahead. I, I love hearing that. 
Um, of yeah. course, now, you know, most of us would remember when, when you crossed over on the radio for pop stuff, you know, the, like your album, what, Heart in Motion in 91. Gosh, that thing had like at least at least five huge hits on it. Um, so we'd be here forever. We talk about them. So let me let me rapid fire them really quick and just share a memory of recording it or something. You know, like that's what love is okay. for. I mean, that I love that. song. I love that song. I still do that one every night. A great message. Um, yeah, I, when I think about that song, I think about this crazy, crazy music video that we did for that. That was, um, yeah, I don't know if it ever saw the light of day. It was weird, but. Why was it weird? Uh, well, we did it in um, Zion National Park, I think is where we were, uh, or Craters of the Moon. And um, yeah, it's just bizarre. Uh, all right how about yeah. how about baby baby that thing was the, one of the catchiest uh, songs of the decade <laughs> yes um i love that song and i um i wrote that with keith thomas keith was um a he was so ahead of his time with programming um in the nashville community which at that time was seen more as a country music world and he just blew those doors wide open and um, and you know the other the other producers on that record, Michael O'Marty and, and Brown Bannister on Heart in Motion, say the same thing about Keith. I mean, he he people that are music geniuses just um, you know they find a way to express their brilliance. And he wrote that music. I'm so glad he let me let me write a lyric. I wrote it about my daughter Millie. Oh, that baby baby that, your daughter. Mm -hmm. And you know what's crazy? She is now, we just passed our 30th year anniversary for that record. And the month that it was like the 30th anniversary, and of course she was like, I was pregnant with her making a lot of that record. And then she was on the Grammys with me when she was one. Um, and she's pregnant with a baby girl. Oh, now she can play it for her so, daughter. <laughs> I don't know, yeah comes full circle how about every heartbeat yeah. that's another really upbeat fun one yes i wrote that with charlie peacock and wayne kirkpatrick and um yeah just just a feel good song life was felt like one big party at that point it was just fun to have fun upbeat songs that just celebrated just celebration yeah and when did you hear the beat for good for me to me that's all about the beat yeah. Yeah. That little popcorn snare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've got that back out on the road. <laughs> yeah. That song, because I mentioned Mario Andretti, that actually got me invited to the Indy 500. Um, and just how one crazy thing leads to another because the, the Andretti family back in 1992 had three Andrettis racing in the Indy 500. And their team was owned by Paul Newman. And then that led to subsequent invitations to Camp Hole in the Wall Gang, the Paul Newman camp for kids. Um, yeah, just like the, this crazy relay of one thing would lead to the next. And it just, that record really exploded the circle of my life into a much bigger arena. Absolutely. Well, uh you know, there was, I will remember you. There was so many more, but um, I, I, I know we're short on time. So, but I definitely want to ask you about 
um, House of Love, of course, with Vince Gill, because, you know, you guys will get married a couple years later in mm-hmm. 2000. But man, talk about a great song. The lights are coming on in the House of Love. Talk about yeah. you know, recording that. And then and then also, you know, just how it talk about exploding into other circles of life. Like you just mentioned, I mean, that changed your life uh, personally as well. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that song was written by Greg Barnhill and Kenny Greenberg and just, oh my gosh, so beautiful. And um, I knew Kenny at the time. He's married to a, a dear friend of mine, Ashley Cleveland, who's an amazing artist. And, you know, it's funny because all of us through the years wind up touring with each other. <laughs> and so it just feels like the big musical family. Um, and I, w- I don't think I would have asked Vince to play on that song. It, um, it just so happened that he, his manager reached out to me to do a Christmas show with him and with Michael McDonald and Chet Atkins. And I said, it was in the uh, December of 1993. And I said, oh my gosh, I, had, I told the symphony I would do a benefit for them. Would you come do a benefit with me with the symphony? And so it was kind of a, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. But, and even though I had some of Vince's records, I'd never heard him sing in a live setting. And his voice, he is a phenom. And it was because of those two work experiences that I said, would you sing on my record? And especially because the harmony was too high for me. And he's the only dude I know that can sing that high. <laughs> So, he, he can sing. Uh, he can sing high. He on can that go mountain. high on that mountain. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, and then you know, life. Um, yeah, life took a lot of turns that I don't think I sure was not anticipating, but uh, they did, and I'm so thankful to be where I am right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sometimes things just fall into place like that. Well, you know, th- thanks for, you know, going back and tracing sort of the, the origins of, of your life and your story. Um, let's bring it before we run, bring it back around to the, you know, the Jesus music documentary. Like you mentioned, the Ken Burns country music documentary. You love the how that explores the roots. Is there anything about the roots of gospel music that you learned yourself from watching this? I mean, I know it. I mean, I guess I didn't realize that it had humble beginnings at what was it? Calvary Chapel and coast of Mesa, California. I didn't even know where that it began, but you know, what, what was it yes. for you before it became this multi-billion dollar industry? What, you know, did you learn anything from watching it? I did. Yes. That so much was happening in Southern California. And I was not aware of how instrumental Billy Graham was in providing a platform for uh, contemporary gospel music. And he was, and you know, This is the man who was preceded with every sermon he ever preached by George Beverly Shea, who, you know, just such, he would just get up there and sing the hymns. And, you know, I had the honor of being on several stages with Billy Graham. And he just said everything, you know, Bev Shea was his buddy. But he opened up his platform, his trusted platform to people that looked different from him, that dressed differently, that sounded differently than he did. And I so loved that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to uh, protect the, the cultural status quo. 
that he was, uh, that Billy Graham was uh, welcoming uh, with his platform and with people that expressed faith differently than he did. And I think that had a profound impact on the spread of contemporary Christian music. I think you raised such a good point and you, you keep returning it throughout the whole interview, but you know, you, you said he wasn't so much, you know, rigidly protecting this, the cultural status quo. Um, and I mean, every time I read through the gospels, I think of, you know, the, the Pharisees were the ones that were protecting the status quo and the law of, and then Jesus time and time again said, no, this is what it's really all about. Follow me, you know, let's yeah. love everybody. Um, yeah. if there was, if there was somebody just sort of in that vein, if there's somebody maybe that, you know, is a, is a non-believer or maybe they were, they were having, they were a believer, but they're having some doubts in their faith or whatever. Um, and they and they come to this documentary sort of like you said that woman that you saw came to that early pastor in Nashville with you. You know, if 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 there's someone that sort of comes to this to either your music or to this the Jesus music documentary that still wrestling with it, what what, what would you sort of say that might open their heart to um, give it a shot? Mm, yeah, well, I would say that I think one thing that's beautiful about the documentary, and I know I'm an executive producer on there. I will say I was just interviewed like everybody else. I. I appreciate, I think because they, they, the Irwin brothers are dear friends of mine. And so, but as far as, you know, how the storyline, the arc of the story that they told, I wasn't aware of what they were doing with anybody else until I saw the rough edit. And I actually have not seen the final edit, but what I loved was that they, um, that they showed the gritty side of people, the struggle of people that are on a faith journey and uh, that, that, you know, feel changed by the love of God. And I would just say, I mean, my belief is that we're all on a faith journey and God finds every one of us, you know, if we, people that feel like they're arm's length from God, I mean, that's about as far as away as he's ever going to get, because we're the only ones that can put our arms up and say, no, no. <laughs> and wow. I, and I, you know, so I, I mean, I have family, I have dear friends that are like, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. And I kind of, I just, the way I look at it is, if it is true that in him we live and move and have our being, then it's like having an opinion about air. Really? You know, I think we're going to get to the other side of this life and say, how did I ever even see myself, God, as separate from you? You know, all of that was just how I was interpreting with my mind what our connection was. But, you know, Anything we think we understand about God, I mean, even the bot, he says, whatever you think you know about me, you don't, because <laughs> your ways aren't my ways. And so I, you know, I, I think a lot of people struggle with their faith journey because how faith has been communicated to them, what it means, and, uh, and that's because people are messy and humans are messy and we all of our best intentions fall short. And so 
I hope somebody would come to this and go, oh my gosh, I'm loved. I'm loved by God who made me and I don't have to be perfect to get that love. And then the conversation begins. Wow, I love that. And arm's length away, that's the farthest it'll ever be because you're the one that puts the arm up. I love that. Well, as you say, it is a journey and uh, that conversation, it's where it begins. So keep that conversation and that journey going uh, by checking out uh, the Jesus Music documentary available on October 1st. Um, and before that, if you want to dance and sing along to some Amy Grant tunes, uh, head over to the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on September 20th. So the concert on September 20th and the documentary on October 1st. Amy Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this, this was really insightful. Thank you. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the visit. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.